Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Psalm 127, it is forward month in our family. Every month this year is moving forward in a different area of our life and the month of August is moving forward in the family. Before we get too far, I do want to say thank you publicly to Brother Denwood Ross as well as to Brother Joe Bean, both of whom I understand have capably handled the Word of God in my absence. And I want to thank you for being here in my absence as well. I know that when you come to Liberty Baptist Church, you're not coming to hear a particular person. I know that you're coming to hear from the Word of God. And so I'm thankful that we had a couple men that were here that were opening the Word of God and preaching with conviction and with passion and preaching the Word of God as it is written to us as we are. And so I'm thankful for them and their sacrifice in being here over the last week. Uh, family, it's everything in a lot of ways. And family is an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, I was actually just leading singing and I saw sticking out of my Bible a couple different things. There's some things that I've kept in my Bible now for years. Uh, I think I've shown these before, but this is uh, uh, a bulletin from my mother's funeral when she passed away about nine years ago now. I keep this in my Bible just as a reminder of her. And there's a very young picture of Adam Rivero in here as well. I don't keep it to remind myself what I used to look like. It's just uh, a picture of my parents. But I also have a picture of myself, even smaller, probably about three years old here. No, you can't see it after church. Um, but uh, a picture of me, and you can if you want, uh, and my uh, dad and my grandfather, the only one of my four grandparents that I was ever able to meet, my grandfather. So I keep that in my Bible just as a reminder. Because uh, it's family, you know, it's family. Um, I keep this in my Bible as well. This is a picture of our family when we left 11 years ago to travel around the country to tell other churches about starting Liberty Baptist Church. And this is kind of how I still think of our family in a lot of ways. Baby AJ, uh, Peyton, or Peyton, well, Peyton doesn't exist. She's not here yet. Um, Bethany is seven and Kaylee is six in this picture. And it's hard for me to grasp a daughter, you know, that could sing up here and go to Bible college and another one that now is senior in high school and is also driving to that both of them can drive is the cause of much of my high blood pressure at the moment. Um, family. Uh, I keep this in here. You know why? Because of family. Um, but I would also say this. Family can be one of the most amazing and infuriating gifts that God has ever given us. Now, some of you don't want to say amen to that second part, but I know some of you and you know some of me. And you would all be able to agree with me, I believe, that if we were honest, that family can be one of the greatest gifts from God. But when it doesn't go the way that God intends it to go, it can be one of the greatest disasters that you can find on the face of the earth. Every single one of us are affected by family. Every single one of us have been part of a family or are part of a family. There is no one that is exempt from that. Even if you were adopted into a family, you are part of a family. 
And so as I look at this issue of moving forward in family, because remember, every month we're trying to move forward in a different element, a different area of our Christian life. We cannot ignore the fact that we should, as believers, move forward within our families, not just ourselves, but also as a family move forward. I will admit to you readily that as we start moving forward in family month, that it may be one of the hardest months out of the year for me as a pastor to preach about. And the reason why is because I look at people right before me this morning. Many of you I know, some of you I don't, but I know that we come from different family situations, that there are some who are here single, there are some who were married, there are some who are even widowed or widowers, and then we have those that are have young children, those who have graduated children, those who have estranged children, some who even have children who aren't with us here today. It's hard for a pastor to be able to preach to all of those different situations. But the good news today is that while the Word of God speaks, the Holy Spirit is the great applicator. That my job, if you will, the ministry that God's laid upon me is to just preach the Word as it is to people as they are and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only He can do in applying the Word of God to our lives. So in saying that, there will be several things that I will say, not just this week, but the weeks that are following, that likely will not pertain to your particular family situation. But I would caution you to not tune me out just waiting for the particular situation of which you find yourself in because the Holy Spirit is so great and the Holy Spirit is so amazing and the Holy Spirit is so powerful that he can take the word of God that even is preached to something entirely different and apply it to your heart and to your life Amen. to still bless you in a way that you maybe didn't even think possible. You say, Pastor, can you do that? <laughs> I can't, but he can. And that's what I prayed and am praying that he will do here this morning with this message that I have entitled, The Neediest Mission Field. The Neediest Mission Field. You say, Pastor, I thought we were just talking about family. Now we're talking about missions. We're, you've been on vacation too long. You don't know what you're talking about. And I may not know what I'm talking about. I've been accused of that before. But I would say that I am very sure about what I'm speaking of at this moment in time. And the reason why is because sometimes you hear people talk about what's the world's neediest mission field. And typically, some of the large countries are named, particularly uh, those that have a billion or more. We think of India, particularly, or China, the, what needy mission fields they would be to think of a nation with a billion plus people, certainly they would be named in that mix. Sometimes you hear the 1040 window named. Have you ever heard of the 1040 window? It's just a place on our map where you could see that many of the uh, people groups of the world that have not had a gospel witness would reside in what we call the 1040 window uh, below the equator. Uh, that would be a place where a great many people have never heard the gospel you could say the 1040 window might be the greatest and most needy mission field. I would submit to you that maybe even this United States of America has become a great mission field. And I'm thankful to have spent a week in Virginia, a state uh, that is almost as old as the state that we live in and has a great history. And there are a great many Baptist churches, but I would say that there are not as many churches that there used to be and certainly not as many that are teaching the things of the Bible and the things of the Lord as there used to be. The churches in America are closing at a much more rapid rate than they are opening here in the United States. Every statistic bears that out. We could say the United States. 
But I would submit to you this morning that the greatest mission field is not India or China or, or Russia or the Ukraine or the 1040 window or even the United States. I would submit to you today, and you might already know where I'm going because of the month that we're in, the greatest mission field in the world is not even a country, but the great mission field of the world that's forgotten today is the family. And if I was to put a finer point on it this morning, it would be this. It would be your family. Your family. Whether they live under your roof or whether you're connected by a family tree. Or maybe you're just connected by love, by relationships that have been placed over the years because you've been adopted into a family. Whether legally or otherwise, you're just part of someone's family because someone somewhere at some point had enough love and care and concern about you to have you to be named as part of their family. Whatever it may be, I would submit to you this morning that the world's most needy mission field would be that of the family. Would you stand please for the reading of the Word of God? Psalm 127. I've got bad news. We're going to read the whole chapter. I've got good news. If you've read ahead, it's only five verses, so we'll be okay. Psalm 127, beginning in verse number one. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this word, that you would apply it to hearts and lives. I know not everyone is in a situation where they have children. I know not everyone is in a situation where their children are young. And they're at the age where they could be raised in the home. And Lord, I, I know that there's so many different situations who are here today. But I pray to you, at this moment, that you would take these words and apply them to each and every heart that's here in a way that is good and is right. I pray that there's someone here today that is not part of the family of God because they've never accepted Jesus as their Savior, that they would be adopted into the greatest family of all today, into that great family of yours. And I pray that they would accept the gospel message of salvation today. Thank you for this time and bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The Bible makes clear here in Psalm 127 that to build a home, the Lord has to be the builder. You know, it's vain to try to build your home on your own. We need a builder who has some experience. If you were going to build a home, you probably wouldn't call me to help you build your home. And there's a reason why. Well, there's a lot of reasons why. And the main reason would be this. I'm not a builder. I wouldn't know what to do. You got demo? Give me a call. I'm great with a sledgehammer. Uh, but I'm not great at building things. I don't know how to do it. I have no ability. If I was to help build your house, we would put it this way. I would labor in vain and you would be in vain trying to live in that house because it would never get built in the first place. To build something like a family, you and I do not have the ability on our own to build a family in a way that is good and right and holy. No, no, the Bible makes it clear, except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain to build it. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't put some of the work in when it comes 
to building the home. That doesn't mean that you and I are absolved of any responsibility when it comes to the family. But could I put it this way? Uh, again, not knowing much about building, but knowing enough to know this, that there are contractors and then there are subcontractors. You say, well, what does that mean? A contractor is the one who is to build the home. The subcontractors, I haven't done this in a week, all right? I'm trying. Uh, the subcontractors are the ones who come in and do some of the work on behalf of the contractor. But the subcontractors can't do it on their own. If the contractor calls an electrician and says, I want you to put electricity in this room and this room and this room at this location, this location, this location, the electrician can't come in and say, well, I appreciate your plan, but here's what my plan is. I'm going to go ahead and put it in these locations instead. Guess what? That's not a good subcontractor. Uh, the subcontractor has to do what the contractor has told him to do. And in the same way, you and I have the greatest contractor of all, Jesus Christ, the one who has put designs upon our life, who has said what the family is to be, what the family is to look like, has told us what those things are, and you and I don't have the ability to go around and change what God's plan is for the family. We don't have the ability to change what God's plan is to be able to build the family or how the family is composed or what those things are. No, no, we look to the Word of God. We look to the Lord as the builder, and we say, Lord, as you have given the instructions, Lord, as you have given the engineering plans, we're going to take those and we're going to use them by the power of your spirit for your grace and your glory, and we're going to attempt to build something for you, but we're going to have to use your power to do it. Anything else is in vain. Let me say that again. Anything else is in vain. The Bible says that we are to have the Lord be the one who builds the house. Now, but when Jesus was about to send into heaven... He gave some instructions to his church. He gave some final instructions that the church was supposed to do. And he said in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing, excuse me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And amen just means so be it. So what does the end of the book of Matthew tell us? That Jesus gives us the commission to go out, teach all nations about the gospel, to go baptize those who are saved, and then to train, we would say, disciple them to be able to go and perpetuate that commission. That's how we've had a church for now 2,000 years is because the cycle has committed itself over and over and over again. And when churches do this well, it perpetuates and grows. When churches neglect it, churches close and die. And so God has given this plan here for us to be able to go as a church, and whether it's in the mission field, whether we give money to some of those missionaries that are there on the wall, whether it's the Kecks in Papua New Guinea who have already had their Sunday service and they're ready to go to sleep, or whether it's the Prangers who were in Russia but aren't even able to be in Russia anymore because they were expelled by the Russian government and now are trying to find where God has them in the future, or whether uh, it's the Barretts who were in England in a place uh, that had the gospel even before America does but has now become even darker to the gospel than America has. As we look at all those places, you say, well, how are they to go to Russia? How are they to go to Papua New Guinea? How are they to go to England? How are they to go to Easton? 
Well, the plan is right here, isn't it? The mission plan is given to us. You go, and it starts with that word go. You go, you win people to Christ, you baptize them, and then you teach them and train them to go win others also. That's the way that it has been, and that's the plan that it will be until Jesus Christ returns. And that's a good plan. You know why it's a good plan? Because the master builder is the one who gave it. The chief cornerstone of the church is the one who gave it. And you can trust the chief cornerstone. You can trust the master builder. By the way, anything we do here at Liberty Baptist Church is going to fit within that great commission. If it doesn't fit within that great commission, we don't do it. We don't have time to do it because we have to fit as much as we possibly can into the little bit of time that we have here on this sphere in what this commission says. Why are we having a back-to-school outreach in a few weeks? Because we want to help the downtrodden and the poor? Well, certainly that's what Jesus would want us to do, but it's even more so than that. We want to make sure that they understand that Jesus Christ loves them and died on the cross for their sins and that they can accept Jesus Christ as their Savior if they accept the gospel message that you and I have accepted in our lives as well. That's where it fits right there in the Great Commission. But if we are considering the family, couldn't we take these verses right here and apply them to our family? Couldn't we take these verses that we find here in Matthew chapter 28 and apply them to our family as well? And so I see three things as missionaries. In fact, could I put it this way? As home missionaries. You know, sometimes we talk about those who are in America, they're home missionaries. You know what God's called you to be? A home missionary. God's called you to be salt and light. You say, well, everyone in my family is saved. God still called you to be salt and light to that family. God's called you to be an encourager and an exhorter. But let's be honest, not everyone in all of our extended families is saved. And not everyone in all of our extended families, even if they were saved, are following the Lord as they should. And maybe it could be even within your own home. And maybe it could even be where you live right now. Or maybe it could be a child who is older that has maybe gotten away or a grandchild who hasn't heard the gospel yet because mom and dad haven't given them the gospel the way you passed it on to others as well. Well, what are we to do? I think the Great Commission gives us an outline of what to do here. And the first thing is this, go and teach. Go and teach. And when it says go and teach all nations, it's specifically talking about saved, baptized, and added unto the church. We see that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. They were saved. They were baptized. They are added unto the church. By the way, the Bible makes it clear you don't get baptized first. What do you do? You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior first, and then baptism is a picture, Romans chapter 6, on the outside of what God has done on the inside of your heart. Aren't you glad we had baptism a couple weeks ago? I didn't even drown either of these guys. They're still coming. Man, how do you like that? I baptized them a couple weeks ago. They're not angry at me, nothing, even though it was cold, even though there were icebergs floating across the water. Mark still, Mark still got water in the ear, but he's here anyway. Praise God. You know, that's a wonderful thing. But what do we do? That's the order that we see. So in the home, what do we do? First, we want to teach our young people. We want to teach young people here at Liberty Baptist Church that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the message that they need to hear. You say, well, I don't want to teach my children that. I want them to come to that on their own. Friend, let me tell you, if you don't teach them, someone else will teach them something different that you and I have been given these gifts. No, no, that's Psalm 127. They, we've been given these gifts, and what are we to do? We're to teach them and to train them specifically that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, how would we feel tonight if we were to win the world, but we were to lose our own family? 
How are we to feel if we were to put all of our efforts into winning those all around the world, but we neglect those who are even the closest to us? Now, I'll be honest with you, many do, and here's the reason why. It's easier to send your money around the world than to tell someone around the corner about the gospel. You know why? Because if you send that money to the missionary, it's over. It's done. You don't have to think about it anymore. But you may have to look at that family member tomorrow if they reject the message. You may have to look at them next week and have to wonder what they'll say, what they'll think, what the topic will be at the next Thanksgiving dinner, whether they'll come to see you at Christmas or not if they reject the gospel. So what do we do? Well, despite that, we push through and we reach all missionaries. As a home missionary... Job was there making intercession on behalf of his children. There he was in Job chapter 1. You can read later verses, uh, verse number 5 where he's, he's literally standing there sacrificing. He says, in case my children have done something wrong, I just want to sacrifice on their behalf. Now, we don't have to do that today. That's not the way that God has uh, ordained us to be able to have a relationship with the Lord. But I would say this, the burden that he had for his children is something that we can emulate today. The burden that he had that they would be right with God. But on the negative side, you can look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Don't do this now, but you can do it later. Verse number 22 through 26, there was a judge named Eli. He had two wicked sons named Hophni and Phinehas. They were wicked. They were doing wrong. They should have been put to death for how they profaned not just God and his holy worship, but also some of the women who were there literally just coming to worship God, and they made, uh, made just awful abuses of them. They should have died according to God's word. But Eli says, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And you can look at it later and you realize that basically he says, you know, it's not good that you should do that, but I'm not going to stop you. What happened? He probably thought he was being a very progressive father. He probably thought he was very enlightened. But what ended up happening in just about a chapter is Eli's dead, Hophni's dead, Phineas is dead. And their family is forever changed because there was a man who refused to stand in the gap for his family. What do we need to do? We need to be awake and aware and have a church family that is going to gather around and others who will gather around. Listen, I'm discouraged there are times that there are parents of teens who are more worried about what college their children are going to than their children's spiritual state. Is everyone in your family saved? Do you care if they're saved or not? Do you think it's the pastor or the missionary's job to be the one who wins everyone? Do you realize that there are people that I'll never be able to win to Christ? Diane will never be able to win to Christ. They won't even open the door for us. They won't answer our texts. They won't answer our phone calls. But they'll listen to you because you're family. And I know it's hard. But if we're home missionaries, the first thing that we see here in, Rome, in Matthew chapter 28 is this. We're to go and teach all nations. But then what are we to do? The Bible says the next part of the Great Commission is to baptize them. To baptize them. You say, oh, pastor, are you saying that I need to baptize everyone in my family when I'm done? Well, no, we understand that baptism is an ordinance that's given to the church. And so I don't want to try to mix that up here this morning. But if I was to take that and maybe give it a little bit of a different twist while still staying true and faithful to the word of God. Let's think about this for a second. The word baptism literally comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse to immerse. That's, that's what baptism is. That's why when we baptize, we immerse. I'm sure the guys would have rather that I sprinkled all things considered, but no, we baptize. And the reason why is it's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And just as they didn't sprinkle dirt on Jesus 
at the cross and after the cross. No, just as he was immersed and brought back up. Again, Romans chapter 6, you can read that later about the picture that baptism is. Uh, we see that baptism is immersion. But I wonder this because sometimes the word of God is likened to water in the, in the word of God. I want to ask you this question this morning. Is your family immersed in the word of God? Part of having a home missionary mentality is immersing yourself and other people in the word of God. Immersing yourself and other people. Do you know when you are immersed, little else matters? You know, if you put your head underwater, you don't really care what's going on anywhere else. You know what you're focused on? Underwater and getting back up from underwater. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is important. And I understand that we have responsibilities here in this life, and I'm not trying to say that there aren't other responsibilities, but I think for many believers, the Word of God is not something we immerse ourselves in. The Word of God is rather something we sprinkle in. And there's a big difference. No, no, we're never going to reach our families the way that we should if we simply just sprinkle a little Word of God into our life. And I know that as you are a young believer, you read less of the Word of God. And listen, you're not going to read 20 chapters of the Bible if you just got saved last week. And I don't know that you may ever read 20 chapters of the Bible every day if, you're, if your time ever allows. I don't know that. I'm not even saying that's the, the pinnacle or what we need to aim for. But I do know this, is that we should be growing in our walk with the Lord, and we should be meditating on our walk with the Lord, and we should be meditating on the Word of God. But the world is yelling. No, no, the world is screaming at us for attention. Every billboard, every ad, every message, every notification, every social media post is screaming, look, now, now, now. Here it is. That's what it's doing. But what do we see? No, we shouldn't be immersed in those things. But wouldn't it be better if we were immersed in the Word of God? I know I keep saying this. I don't have time to go here. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, if you're taking notes, write it down and read it later. If you are a family, you have a responsibility to teach the Word of God to those who are under your roof. By the way, if you're a husband and wife, can I talk to you husbands for a moment? You should be able to take the Word of God and read with your wife. Wives with husbands. But guys, take charge of that. Take the, well, you might say, well, pastor, she knows more about the Bible than I do. Well, get cracking, man. What you waiting for? Start reading. You know, you know when Diane and I met, um, I, she knew a whole lot more about the Bible than I did. I've been saved a couple years and... I didn't, now, I'm not saying that I know more about her now, but I know this. I'm not as far behind as I was before. Uh, you know why? Because I realized I got to get reading this thing. And then I started reading. I realized I want to read this thing. It's good. It's helpful. I need it. And the more I immersed myself in it, the better it got. And listen, could you imagine? We put together John and Roman, sometimes 10, 15,000 of these every year. Every, every March or February, we'll go down to Holbrook and we'll help compile these John and Romans and we'll send them all over the world. We've sent them to Germany. We've sent them to Russia. We've sent them to Fairfield, Connecticut. Okay, not quite as far, but we've sent them to all these different places. Imagine sending the word all around the world, but then not immersing ourselves in it. Well, Pastor, no one else in my family will read the Word of God with me. Will you read it? Pastor, nobody else will meditate on the Word of God with me. You start on it. And see if over time it makes a difference. Can I tell you that even as an unsaved young man, I have a memory of my mother 
pretty much every morning that I could see her, that she'd have the door ajar in her bedroom, and she'd be sitting at a little bedside table, little stool, reading the Bible. You know what? That made an impact on me. You know what I hope my children have an impression on someday? Is they saw a mom and a dad who would sit down and read the Word of God. I hope that they have that of me, that that's not just something that's idle or that's something that's small, but we immerse ourselves in the Word of God. But, but just like the Great Commission says to go and teach all nations and then to baptize them and then to teach them to obey, you say, well, that's two different teachings. That doesn't make sense. Well, the first is teaching about salvation, and then the other is teaching them how to live the Christian life. Because I don't know about you, but once you get saved and you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you don't know everything. By the way, if any of you think you know everything, you might as well just go on and send to heaven because you've got nothing else to do down here if you know it all. I think, I think we all understand and know we're going to be learning or we should be learning all the way till Jesus takes us home. But what do we do? The Great Commission is not just simply winning people to Christ, but it's teaching them to obey the word of God. The, the psalmist says that children are like arrows. Go back to Psalm 127 quickly. It says, children are in heritage, verse number four, three. Children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the mighty hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies at the gate. I've heard some people say, Pastor, uh, those, those verses say we have to have as many children as we possibly can. Uh, listen, you, you realize that quivers could hold different amounts of arrows? It's not my job, nor is it the word of God telling us how many children uh, you are to have. And it's God who opens the womb and closes the womb. I'm not here to tell you any of those things here today. But what I do say is this, is that it says children are in heritage of the Lord. Meaning this, who do they belong to? The Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. By the way, children are a blessing. And arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. What does that mean? It simply means this. Arrows go where you point them. See, that's pretty deep, Pastor. I know. This is, I've been thinking about this for a week, okay? Uh, arrows go where you point them. When I was a Cub Scout, I remember when they would take us to go and, and go to, you know, archery and things like that. And I remember once I was at the archery place uh, at the range, and we were at the – thank you. All right. So, um, so I'm pointing out – and I remember I was, I was stretching it out, and someone said, Adam, and I went like this. And there was yelling and there was screaming. And all I know is I was sitting down right after that and never got back up again. Uh, I'm glad I learned that lesson at about eight years old because I've uh, not, not uh, uh, now you're like, should I take him to the range? No, it's okay. So yeah, I need to go to the range, David. Uh, you know why? You know why they were all scared? Because where I was pointing the arrow is where it would go. You know, if you point it this way, it shouldn't go that way. If I point it this way, it's not going to go that way. What is the Bible saying? It's saying that when we have young people or when we have people that we have influence over, what do we do? We need to be pointing them in the right direction. Right. Now, listen, there's no guarantee. Every certain single person has to make a decision on their own of what they will do with the Lord. But you know what we can control? I control where I point them. You know what I want to do with my children? I have four of them by the grace of God. You know what I want to do with our children? Is Diane and I want to do this, point them toward Jesus Christ. Point them toward Jesus Christ. If you don't point them at Christ, they will go somewhere. Uh, they will follow a pop culture sensation. They will follow an influencer. You say, what's an influencer? It's someone on social media that has 100,000, 200,000 
a couple million followers. And because they have followers, supposedly, they're wise. But I'll be honest with you, most of them are fools. And they get paid sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars just because they have hundreds of thousands of followers. You know what I don't want my children to do? I don't want them to grow up to be like an influencer. I want them to be like Christ. That's what I want them to be. Now, could I have any guarantee? I can't. But you know what I can do? I can point them that way. You know, you might have grandchildren. Or you might have nieces or nephews or extended family. Or, or adult children that maybe have gone away. Here's what I know. You can't force them. You know, you could take a horse to water, but you can't drown them. All right, some of you get that later. Oh, but um, maybe it just wasn't funny. I don't know. Um, that's apparently what it was. All right. Uh, you know what I want to do? With all of those care, I just want to point them to Christ. When they see me, I want to point them to Jesus Christ. That may mean that you need to talk differently around them. That maybe means that you need to act differently around them. How should I act? Well, the Bible says we should be like Christ. How do I do that? Not on your own, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He'll help you. He'll give you what you need. You know what's amazing about Psalm 127? You know, I look at Psalm 127. This is an amazing chapter, and it really is. You know what's amazing about Psalm 127? There's one part of the chapter that I didn't read. And it's actually inspired as much as the rest of the chapter. It's not just a chapter heading. It's actually part of the biblical record. We see where it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, the build in verse number one. Look right above it. Between where it says Psalm 127 and except the Lord build the house, it says a song of degrees for, who is that? Solomon. A song of degrees for Solomon. Now, I don't have time to go into the background, but I wouldn't exactly call Solomon a family man. Say, pastor, how would you say that? Well, 1,000 wives and concubines kind of does not make you the greatest family man in the world. Look it up later. 1,000 wives and concubines. Solomon knew the truth, but he didn't do the truth. Solomon knew it. And we don't know what time in his life he wrote this. And remember, he was inspired by God to write this. This is 100% truth. But what I'm saying is this. A lot of us can give lip service to these things, but when it comes down to practically applying them in our home, it could be much different. One commentator put it this way, like much of Solomon's wisdom, the lessons of this psalm were mostly lost on him. His building, both of his palaces and his family became reckless. His kingdom a ruin within days of his death and his marriages a disastrous denial of God. In fact, Solomon's reign over Israel was an unqualified disaster the scandal of 40 generations. I don't know that I necessarily agree with the entirety of that, but I will say this, because of the decision Solomon made in his life, in his family, even though he knew the truth, Israel was forever changed and went in a direction that I don't believe God intended it to go if he had just listened. It's one thing to know these things. It's another thing to put them into practice. I heard someone say this recently. A good message. You ever heard that? Sometimes people come to me after church and say, hey, pastor, that's a good message. And I, I appreciate that when people say that. That's an encouragement to me. I mean, I don't want to go to my head or anything like that. You know, I don't, you know, you know think I'm you know, the, the greatest preacher that ever was. But I appreciate you when you say that. And I'm not asking you to say that. I'm just saying I appreciate it. But I heard it said recently, a good message is a message applied. Meaning this really isn't the mark of a good message, whether we take it 
and apply it and use it in our life. The Bible tells us this, the family that God has ordained is one of the world's greatest blessings. In fact, he only ordained three institutions, government, the church, and family. Those are the three institutions that he divinely inspired, the church, the government, and family. And when it's good, oh, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. So I'm going to speak to a couple things and I'm done. First, some of you may not know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. And I mean this, that you've never had a time and a place where you've accepted Christ to save you, where you've said, I'm a sinner and I know that my sin will send me straight to hell. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for me so that all I have to do is accept that free gift of salvation. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe like, you were like me. I was baptized as a baby and I just thought I was safe. I was all set. And I came to realize that it wasn't my parents' faith that would save me. And it wasn't an ordinance of the church that would save me. It was Jesus Christ's atonement on the cross that would save me. And I just needed to accept that free gift. And can I tell you, on December 2nd, 1998, there was no greater day in my life, either before or after, because that was the day that I knew for certain that I'd go to heaven. And by the way, every good day I've had after that has been because of December 2nd, 1998. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you need to do that. But the second thing is this, when the family's not what it should be, and maybe there's some people here who'd say, you know, there's some things in my family situation that aren't what they should be. There's some things I don't like in my family situation. There's some things about my family situation that give me anxiety. They cause me worry, maybe even shame or grief. Is the issue with the family that God instituted or is the issue when we take that and do it our own way? Now, some of those things that maybe are happening in your family, you can't control. You have to give that to God. Say, but I, Pastor, I taught my kids and they're not listening. You have to give that to God and keep praying, keep being a light, keep being salt to them, but you have to give that to them. Because I know there's some parents who are grieved at the fact that they've given their children good biblical teaching and now they're not listening to it you have to leave that with god i say that in all kindness and all sincerity you have to leave that to god continue to be a light continue to reach them as your mission field but give it to god no only god can change the heart and they have to be open to their heart being changed but i also say this are you doing everything that you should to follow the great commission of the family making sure as many of people in your family are saved as possible immersing yourself and them in the Word of God and then teaching and training them, pointing them in the right direction that once they do know the Lord, continue to point them in the right way to that which is good and right. Listen, when the family is good, there's nothing like it. When the family is bad, ask Solomon how bad it can get who didn't heed his own advice and had a message that wasn't applied that changed not just the course of his family, but the course of generations to follow. I'll say this and I'm done. Our family wasn't really a church-going family. I mean, there was some high church stuff, some, some, some you know, but we weren't really a church-going family. Diane's family, I wouldn't exactly call a church-going family in their history. But there was something that changed when she was six years old her family ended up going to church in Australia. And the trajectory 
of their family changed forever. My parents sent me to a Christian school where I ended up hearing the gospel. Where before I would have just gone my own way. I had really no care about the Lord. My trajectory changed forever. Our family will be changed for generations. Well, because of what you did? <laughs> Quite the opposite. Because of what he did. Will you let him do that work and let the Lord build? Because if he doesn't build, we labor in vain to do it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.